happens if the extraordinary becomes ordinary? That's what we have been asking and discussing as we've been working through Acts chapter 2 as a church over the last several weeks. And today, we're going to talk about prayer as ordinary. Now, at my house, we have a lot of animals. Catherine's an animal person. I'm kind of an animal person, uh, and so we have a lot of animals. We have currently at my house a hamster, four chickens, uh, two dogs, two cats, and we have a horse that's not at my house that's at a barn, and so we've got a lot of animals. And of all these animals, I like the dogs, okay? Uh, my least favorite are the cats. So if you're the cat person, sorry, uh, the, these cats are like just, Roommates, They're just there. I mean, I don't interact with them a lot. They're just at my house. And so uh, the, we have these two cats. Uh, we have Maui here, who is the black cat. We have Mowgli, who is this kind of uh, beige-colored cat. Yes, they're both named after Disney characters. Uh, and Mowgli is, is a cat that's mostly inside the house, sometimes outside the house. He's a lover. He just wants you to, to, to pet him and to hold him. He's the cat that the hamster will sit there with him, and they'll hang out together. I don't know how that works, but they're, they're buddies. Uh, and then I have Maui, the black cat. And Maui mostly lives outside and comes inside every now and again just to eat. Uh, and Maui is an assassin. Uh, Maui, I've seen him, I've physically seen him uh, kill birds, Bats, snakes, mice, moles, I mean, you name it, he's wandered around in the yard with it in his mouth. And so he, he just roams around the mountain killing things. Uh, and so we went on a vacation a few years ago uh, down to the beach, and, and when we came back home, Maui was nowhere to be found. I thought that might have been an answered prayer, but maybe not. Uh, and so he was, he was gone for like a couple of weeks after we got back, there was no sign of, of Maui. And so I thought, you know, Maui's gone. Uh, so we're trying to have this conversation with the kids that, uh, that the black cat is, is now gone. And boy, our youngest, Ransom, was really upset about it. I mean, he was just tore. He's, he's a, a really tender-hearted little boy. And so he was really upset that this, that this cat was gone. Uh, and so Catherine thought that this would be a good teaching moment for Ransom. Uh, so she told him that he just needed to pray uh, to God and ask God, you know, that, that Maui would come back home. And I'm sitting there going, okay. So, so Ransom begins to pray, the sweetest little prayer you've ever heard a little boy pray, asking God to bring this cat home. And I, I am not exact, this is not a preacher's tale. As he's praying, the cat comes walking up out of the woods. <laughs> out of the woods. And... Uh, I was reminded that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so, uh, but I'll be honest, when he was praying, I was dumbfounded when I saw this cat walking up. I mean, he had been gone for weeks. Uh, there's no way that this cat is coming home. I thought this was just going to be a cute little prayer that my son was going to offer to God. But instead, God showed me something important there. Why aren't simple prayers seeking our God ordinary? Like, why, is that, why wasn't that ordinary that he would pray a prayer like that? I mean, that was something that was on his heart. It wasn't on my heart, uh, but it was on his heart. Uh, and so he, he prayed it to God, and God answered him uh, in the way that only God could. And when we look at the, the New Testament church, what we've been asking as we've been going through this series is, why isn't what we see here ordinary? 
A lot of times what we think when we look at Acts chapter 2 is these, these are extraordinary circumstances. These are extraordinary times. Like, this is incredible, and it certainly was incredible. All these things and ways in which God was moving at that period in the church's history. But I don't think that God was doing something here that he never intended to ever happen again. I think that God was showing us what he wants us to do, what he wants us to be as his people. And so today, as we come to Acts chapter 2, verses, verse 42, uh, we want to think and ask about how can prayer be ordinary in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I'd ask that you stand in honor of God's word. If you're able, Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verses 41 through 47. The word of God says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Thank you. You may be seated. So as I was thinking about this passage today, you know, there's different things that we do when we preach. Sometimes the, 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 the thrust of the message is to encourage you. Sometimes it's to challenge you. Uh, sometimes it's uh, to, for you to think about something in a way that maybe you haven't before. And I don't think that there's very few people that are listening or watching this morning that if I said to you, you should pray, you would argue with me about that. Like I think, I think pretty much everybody here goes, yeah, that's something that we should be doing. And so that's not, that's not what this is about today. The action step today is to move from I should be praying to I'm devoted to praying. Okay, that's where I want us to think today. Because I think that most of us know we should be doing it. We're just not. And so how are we going to move from I should be praying to I'm devoted to praying like we see here in this passage of Scripture? And so there's two things that I want us to take note of this morning in this passage as we focus then on the end of verse 42 where it says, and to prayer. That's what we're focusing in on today is and to prayer. And we see that they were devoted to prayer as the New Testament church. And as we look at, at what they were doing, we see that prayers for them were a priority and prayers for them were passionate. And so the first thing we see is the priority of prayer. It says that they were devoted to it. And as we've said now for a couple of weeks, all of the words that we use to describe devoted apply equally to this today. Uh, like devoted is the verb and, and the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer are all the things that they were devoted to. And so when we talk about devoted, meaning that they were steadfast in it, that they were committed to it, that they were enduring in it, that they were uh, unremitting in, in these things, that says that they were that way about prayer. In fact, Luke, in the beginning of Acts, records that the very first activity of all these disciples was to join together in prayer. In Acts 1.14, it says that they were all were continually united in prayer, 
along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so from the very beginning of the early church, we see that prayer has been primary. The very first thing that they did, we see throughout the book of Acts that this was something that was constant, regular, that they were committed to doing it. And so where did this priority come from for them? It came from Jesus himself. He was their teacher. He was their leader. He was the one that they followed, that they observed. And they couldn't watch Jesus and not realize that prayer was a priority for him. He was always modeling this for the disciples. We see at his baptism in Luke 3.21, it says, When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And as he was praying, heaven opened. And so there it is, baptism. Uh, it was a regular time for him where he withdrew from the crowds. In Luke 5.16, it tells us that he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And so this was a common practice of Jesus, that he would get away to places by himself and spend time praying to God. He would do it all night long. He would do it at different times throughout uh, his ministry. We find him withdrawing and spending time in prayer. Jesus was found praying before he chose the 12 to follow after him. In Luke chapter 6, and verse 12, it says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. And then after that was when he chose the disciples to follow after him. We find Jesus praying before Peter's confession of him as the Christ. In Luke 9.18, it says, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? What was he doing? Praying. Are you picking up on this? All right, we're, gonna, we're just walking through Luke. I just want you to pick up on this. I know this is a lot of verses, but I don't want you to miss this. At the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verse 29, it says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Before he was teaching his disciples about the Lord's Prayer, in Luke 11, verse 1, it says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. They were observing him. They saw that this was important to him. And they come up and say, teach us to do that. I mean, they were asking him to to teach them because they saw what a priority it was for Jesus in his life. He was praying for Peter's faith in Luke 22, verse 32. He says to him, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And you, when you have turned back, would strengthen your brothers. And so you find all of these instances, and this is not an exhaustive list, of where Jesus is spending time praying. And Luke and Matthew and Mark and John are always recording these events. Why? Because they saw it. They knew that this was an important part of Jesus' ministry. And they picked up on that, and they recorded it in the Word of God. Not only was he doing it, he was teaching it. He was teaching prayer as a priority. Of course, we know that he taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer when they said, hey, teach us how to pray. And he taught them the Lord's Prayer as, as, a, as a model of how we could pray. In his parables, he was teaching about prayer, like the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, verse 1, where he says, 
He told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and to not give up. We find just below that in Luke chapter 18 in verses 10 through 13, another parable uh, that Jesus tells where it says, where he says two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee is standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. I mean, he's saying, this is not how you should be praying. That's, that's the whole point of this parable. Don't pray like this guy. And then he says, but the tax collector who was standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's drawing a contrast here between haughty prayers and humble prayers. And Jesus was always teaching them about prayer. He was always modeling prayer for them. And so the question is, well, did the New Testament church pick up on that? Did the New Testament church figure that out? Well, I would say yeah, because when you start to walk through the book of Acts and you start to look at all the New Testament letters, they're talking about prayer and they're doing prayer all the time. When were they praying? They were praying in times of crisis, like when Stephen prayed to God when he was being stoned to death, or when they were praying for Peter who was in prison, or when they were praying for Paul and Silas when they were praying together in prison. You find the New Testament church praying when they had to make big decisions or when they were establishing leaders, like when they had to replace Judas as one of the apostles or when they ordained the first deacons or when they were appointing pastors in these new churches that were planted on the missionary journeys. They were always praying. Or you see it as a regular part of their practice. For example, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, it says Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And so there was this, these established times of prayer from Judaism that, that were part of their daily routine. And the, and the New Testament church just also was spending those times in prayer throughout the day. And so you can't read through Acts and not see prayer as vital to the first century church. I'm just not sure you would describe prayer as vital to the 21st century church. When I look through the book of Acts, it's almost like the book of prayers. I mean, it's just a story of, how, of them praying and God moving and the Holy Spirit at work in the church. And if you were going to record the acts of the church today, I don't, I'm not sure how much of that would be included in the story. So how do we get from I know I should to I'm devoted to this? What has to be prioritized in your life. It has to be viewed as, as a vital part of what you do. It has to be viewed as this is like the air that I breathe. I and mean, that's what it was for them. But prayer seems to be more of something that's added on than something that's interwoven into who we are. We're now in the fall. And this is the time of year that we like to eat stew and chili and things like that, right? Get those crock pots out, start making good, delicious soups. And I love eating stew. Uh, when it's cold outside, I mean, it's nothing better than getting that, that bowl and just eating stew. And, and so when you're, when you're making stew, 
you start by cooking whatever meat's going to be in it. You know, you brown the meat or do whatever, whatever meat's going to be in there. You cook that. And then you get the, the, the broth going. The broth is, is, the, is the key to a good stew or a good chili or anything else is the broth. And you add the vegetables, you add seasoning, you add the meat or whatever. As you go, you put everything in. But what makes everything work is the broth. You know, everything has to soak. Everything has to marinate in the broth. It, it infiltrates everything, gives it the flavor. And sometimes you'll salt your season to add flavor, but the broth is the key. And, and I want us to know that the same is true with prayer. Prayer should be the broth that everything soaks in. Prayer is, is what everything marinates in. Prayer infiltrates everything. But we typically treat it like the salt that we sprinkle over situations here and there. When it's supposed to be what everything is, is, is uh, situated in. It's not an emergency option. It's a discipline that's a part and parcel of who we are and what we do. And so to move from I know I should to I'm devoted to this, we have to develop a healthy spiritual discipline of prayer. And so that means you're going to have to, to, to set up habits in your life or, or maybe bring aids to your life to help you develop habits of prayer. So, for example, a lot of you are in D groups. In your D group, hold one another accountable to spending time in prayer each day. Ask one another, hey, have you been spending time in prayer? Like recently I was, a, I was at a funeral and I was able to say to a family, I prayed for you, each of you by name, because their father who had passed away was in my D group. And so for two years, as I met with him every single week, I was praying for his family by name. That was part of a discipline in our lives. Create a prayer calendar that helps you organize your prayer life. On Sundays, I pray for these things. On Mondays, I pray for these things. On Tuesday, I pray for these things. That might be what could help you by organizing your prayer life. Maybe you feel overwhelmed and so you just don't do anything. But if you establish some patterns of prayer, that can be helpful. Our church has a prayer wall on our church app that, that you can download on your phone. It's free, and it's got all, the, all sorts of good things on there. But one of the good things that's on there is a prayer wall. And you can go on there, and you can list prayers for people to pray for. And you can go on there and read the prayers of your fellow church members and pray over them. PrayMinder is an app that I use that, that sends me notifications throughout the day about things that I've told it to, that I want to pray for. And so it'll send me a notification to say, pray for Catherine, pray for this, pray for your church, pray for all these things that I've, that I've put on there that I want to be praying about. It'll send me notifications throughout the day. And I can stop. That's the way to pray without ceasing is to be reminded all throughout the day to be praying for these various things. People come here to this altar and pray around 15 minutes before our services on Sunday mornings. You can be a part of praying like that. Kent leads a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights in the Bill Wallace room. You can be a part of that. There's all sorts of things, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means. But use whatever works. Use whatever helps you to develop a discipline of prayer and, and, and a priority of prayer in your life. 
because I want you to make prayer ordinary in your weekly routine. The second thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that they had a passion for prayer. They had a passion. They prioritized it. We see them doing it all the time. But there was something about these prayers that we see in this New Testament church. There was a passion in prayer. And I believe this passion that they had in prayer was rooted in the character of God. Like when Jesus taught them how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He taught them, our God who is in heaven. We're calling on the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all things. That's how we begin that prayer. And it's a reminder to us of who it is that we are calling upon. He says, hallowed be your name. That you're, you are great, God, and you are greatly to be praised. And we are, we are extolling you He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. We want your will and your way, God, in our lives. We are submitting ourselves to you and to your will, and and we trust you in all of these prayers and all of their answers. Jesus taught them that this is how they should pray in the Lord's Prayer. And we see that it begins and is rooted in the character of God. So when you know that you're praying to a God who is good, then you can trust him with your prayers. When you know that you're praying to a God who loves you, then you can follow him wherever he leads you in your prayers. When you know that you are praying to an omnipotent God, you believe that he can do all things. And so that informs how you pray. When you're praying to a God like that, you can pray with passion to a God like that. And so what happened when the New Testament church was praying? Well, the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. That was a pretty good prayer meeting they had. We, an earthquake happened in Acts chapter 4, 31. It says when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. We find them resulting in evangelism in Acts 16, 25. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And, of course, that's when uh, God performed a miracle, and all of them were set free, but they all stayed. And he won the Philippian jailer to the Lord. Resurrection happened in Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, he prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and saw Peter and sat up. There was a miraculous release in Acts 12, verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. There was healing that took place in Acts 28, verse 8. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. These are just some of the examples that we see happening when the New Testament church here in Acts was praying. So does this mean that God has to raise the dead and heal the sick or we're not praying right? Or that we're not praying with enough passion? No. God can do what God wants to do. That's what he did then, and he certainly can do it again, but he doesn't have to. I mean, we're not manipulating God in prayer. We're aligning ourselves with God in prayer. 
That's what happens when we pray. We're not praying so that God would do what we want him to do, that we can twist God's arm or something. We're praying so that we would align ourselves with the, with the will of God, that our hearts would be in tune with him. But the point is with this church that they prayed believing that he could do anything. I mean, you notice that? I mean, there was nothing that they didn't think that God could do when they were praying. Somebody's in prison, God can fix that. Somebody's sick, God can fix that. We need the Holy Spirit, God can fix that. God could do anything. And maybe we don't pray big prayers because we don't believe in a big God. We pray prayers that any old simple God could answer. We pray prayers that we could answer in our own strength, if we're honest. But they prayed big prayers to a big God that only he could answer, and they believed him for it. And so if we want to see God move in incredible ways, then pray that big prayer. If you want to see God perform a miraculous healing, then pray that big prayer because he still does. If you want to see God grow you like you've never grown before, then pray that big prayer because God is still working in people's hearts. If you want to see God use this church like he never has before, then pray that big prayer because God still brings revivals. If you want to see God bring a sweeping revival to our land, then pray that big prayer. And God can answer our prayers however he sees fit, but he also tells us in his word that we have not because we ask not. A.T. Pearson says there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Maybe God's just looking for us to pray. So let's call on God. If you look in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, we get a glimpse here into what our prayers look like. It says, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's interesting right there. It, ge- it gives us a, a picture of how God receives and perceives our prayers. That they're like a sweet-smelling aroma coming up before him. So this bowl of incense was the prayers of the saints coming up before the Lord. He views our prayers like a child coming up to his father asking for help. I mean, I, I want you to know that God loves it when you pray. God loves it when you pray. But even so, much of the 21st century is prayer less and even when we do pray they're often sort of perfunctory prayers rather than passionate pleas to our father it's a god bless the food kind of prayers and if our prayers are are simply going through the motions then they're not very effective and in fact i i think it would be good for us to survey what all of our prayers are about I mean, are are we praying mostly about communion or about kingdom advancement? I mean, how often are we praying for communion with God, praying for our relationship with God or, or for our friends or for our relatives or for people who are sick? And how often are we praying for 
the advancement of the kingdom of God. Praying prayers for the ministry and the mission of the church. Now, I'm not saying that either one is right or wrong. We find both examples of that in the life of Jesus and in the New Testament church. For example, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever, and he spent the night in prayer before he called the 12 disciples. And the New Testament church is praying and receiving the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying that you should never pray for closer communion with God. I'm not saying that you should never pray for your family or for friends or for sick people. That's a good thing to pray for. But it can't be the only thing that you're praying for. Our prayers have to also be for people in places outside of these walls. And I believe that many of us are missing that part of praying in our lives. The kingdom advancement part. You find the New Testament church praying for Paul and Barnabas and sending them out on mission. You find Paul telling all the New Testament churches in his epistles that he's praying for them to live out their faith. Those sort of prayers It's praying for the ministry and the mission of the church. It's praying for the lost in Knoxville to know Christ. It's praying for our missionaries. It's praying for our E-teams to spread the gospel in our community. Andrew Murray said that the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. If we would just pray for those things. So how is it that we're going to move from I know I should to I'm devoted to praying. I think one reason that the New Testament church prayed, and by and large the church today doesn't, is because they really understood that they were talking to God. I mean, hear me out. I think they really understood that they were talking to God. Now, if I were to go around and ask you know, people in our church that say, what is prayer? The answer you would give me is, it's talking to God. I mean, that's what, you, that's what everyone would say. But we don't really function as if we truly believe that. We're talking to God. Because it, if we really believe that we were talking to God, then surely we would do it more. Right? <laughs> I mean, if we really believe that we had the ear of the creator of all things at any time, then surely we would do it more. Surely we wouldn't go a month or a week or even a day without praying. That might be normal in the church today, but it certainly isn't supposed to be ordinary. I mean, surely we would go to God when we're in trouble and we would go to God when we needed wisdom or counsel or we would go to God on behalf of our friends and family and we would go to God about situations in our city or in our country or across the world. We would go to God asking for people to be saved. We would go to God asking for unreached peoples to be reached if we really believed that we were talking to God. And that he was all powerful and that he heard us and that he would answer us. Then we would pray. I think that's why they prayed such passionate prayers. They really believed they were talking to God. And so we want to make prayer ordinary in your life. So Christians this morning... As we think about this passage of Scripture, the action step for today is to move from I know I should to I'm devoted to prayer. And there's two things that we said 
that are important for making prayer ordinary, that we would make it a priority in our lives and that we would do it with passion. And an easy first step is to pray, right? I mean, the, the, I mean, that's the common sense response, right, is to pray to a sermon on prayer. And so maybe during this time of response, you want to spend some time here at this altar or or at your seat, praying to the Lord, asking him that prayer would be a priority in your life, that, that pray that you would pray bold and passionate prayers to God, that you would just pray. There might be things on your heart that you want to lift up to the Lord. He tells us to cast all of our cares upon him. And so maybe you just want to spend some time in prayer. You want to begin to start thinking about how you can organize your prayer life and make it more of a priority throughout the week to establish some of these healthy disciplines in your life. That you would pray. There might be others here today who need to pray the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your life. And that is a prayer to God for salvation. That's what Jesus came to earth to do, was to to provide salvation for us, to to die on the cross, to pay the price for our sin. He was raised from the grave so that we could have salvation and forgiveness. That's what this New Testament church was going and sharing and proclaiming, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world. And we're here today to tell you the same thing, that you can be forgiven of your sins, that you can be reconciled to God, that you can have a relationship with him, become part of his family, part of the kingdom if you'll repent and call on Christ today for forgiveness and pray unto him. So maybe that's a prayer that someone in this room needs to offer today. During our time of response, there's going to be leaders here across the front. You come and share with one of them and say, I need to make that decision in my life this morning. But however God is speaking, this is the time now for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you for your word today, Lord, for the priority, for the passion that we see in the New Testament church with regard to prayer. God, we want that sort of praying to be ordinary in our lives. God, we don't want it to be like salt that we sprinkle on every now and again. God, we want it to be like the stew that our life marinates in. God, we can't help but see in the life of Jesus, we can't help but see in the life of the New Testament church that prayer is important. So God, I pray that it would be like that in our lives. It would be like that in our church. So God, have your way during this time. Move in our hearts. God, I pray for anyone here that's never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that today might be that day that they need to pray and call on Christ to forgive them, to give their heart to follow him as the Lord and master of their life. So God, move during this time, we pray. Amen.